Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Good to be back with you. We covered a few parables on our last time together. Now we move into another segment of the Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 14, John the Baptist, Beheaded. And we begin, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, all that was going on there in Galilee. And he said to his attendants, Oh, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Great was appointed by the Roman Senate to be king of that entire area of what we today call Israel. That was 37 B.C. He died about 4 B.C. And when he died, Herod had four sons, and all that territory was divided among his four sons. Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee and Perea. So the Herod we're talking about here, remember there are four Herods. Herod Antipas was the Tetrarch ruling over Galilee. And Herod, the Tetrarch, said, Oh, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, wait a minute. We didn't hear anything about John the Baptist being dead. But now we have the backstory. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Well, Herod wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So Herod Antipas had married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas, over this. And I imagine he did it publicly because John didn't do anything behind closed doors. He was very public. Herod hated him. Herodias hated him even more. So Herod arrested John and put him in prison in the fortress of Macarius, one that Herod the Great had built in what today is Jordan. Now, how did this go down? On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, Salome, danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she wanted. It was a big party at Macarius, a birthday party for Herod Antipas. And all the important people were there. All the dinner guests were there. And they were eating and they were drinking and, and there was entertainment. And Herod, who I think had an eye on Salome, the daughter of his now wife, he winked at her, he flirted with her, and he said, whispered in her ear, how about, how about that dance you do, the one with the seven veils, the seven veils that come off one by one? Oh, I'd love to see that. I'll give you anything, anything, if you do that dance. So she asked her mother, Herodias, 
what should I ask for? And Herodias, who loathed John the Baptist, and now had him in chains at Macarius in the dungeon, she said, You say to Herod, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Oh, the king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he really couldn't take it back. He ordered that her request be granted. An executioner was sent down to the dungeon, unshackled John, took hold of him, and cut off his head. His head was then brought in on a silver platter. I imagine the head on the platter with a dome covering it and handed it to Salome, who handed it to her mother, who took the dome off, and there was John, eyes wide open, staring at her, tongue lolling out. Everyone, in the, everyone at the dinner must have been horrified. And then they began to laugh. Oh, what a, what a memorable event. Oh, I've never seen anything like that. Well, word got back to John's disciples. His disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. John the Baptist's head. Whatever happened to it? Well, we don't know. There are relics of John the Baptist's head here and there. We take that for what it's worth. But we do have his two arms. <laughs> in fact, if you travel with me on the footsteps of Paul in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, we visit Topkapi Palace in Istanbul. And there's a museum at Topkapi Palace which contains the arm of John the Baptist. It's in a reliquary, and you can see the fingers, and that's said to be the arm of John the Baptist. I was traveling once again to the island of Malta, and uh, on Malta at St. Paul's Cathedral. Remember St. Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta? 99% of the people who live on Malta are Roman Catholics. The Cathedral of St. Paul uh, is the main church on the island of Malta, and in that church I'll be darned. There's the other arm of John the Baptist. Now, I didn't look closely to see whether <laughs> it was the right arm or the left arm, or maybe both places had the left arm or the right arm. Well, that's how relics go. But there are the two relics, one at Topkapi Palace and one in St. Paul's Cathedral in Malta. Well, they took the body and they told and then they told Jesus about what happened. Now, I need to get serious here for a moment. Jesus and John grew up together. Remember when Mary said yes to the angel Gabriel at the Annunciation? And she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit? And she had to tell Joseph? And we cover this at the beginning of Matthew? 
She couldn't stay in Nazareth. Joseph had decided to divorce her quietly, and she had to leave. So where could she go? The only person who would understand any of this was her relative, Elizabeth, who would become John the Baptist's mother. At the beginning of the Gospel according to Luke, we have the whole story. So Mary went to be with Elizabeth and spent three months with her until she gave birth to John. And then she went back home. Oh, I imagine very worried because she hadn't seen Joseph or heard from Joseph in three months. And as far as she knew, he was making arrangements to divorce her, to break the, the betrothal. How can I go back and, and knock on his door and show up there? And I, I'd be so, I'm so afraid, I'd be so humiliated. But she did. And as we know in Matthew, Joseph takes her in. They marry. Jesus is brought up in that household in Nazareth. Like any other boy, he learned to read and write. He played with the other kids. But you know, and I've thought about this a lot, as Jesus was growing up, from, oh, about one year old, you, be, you learn how to walk. You know, two or so, you begin to speak. Um, you have to learn to read. As Jesus was growing up, what was his self-identity? Who did Jesus think he was? Now, it's very important because if you say, well, he knew from the very beginning that he was the Son of God. His mother Mary would have told him that and uh, told the whole story, and he would know that he's the Son of God, God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. He would have known that, but no, he wouldn't. He was fully God and fully human. And you cannot be fully human and know all the answers. You cannot be fully human and go through life as God simply reading a script. No, he had to learn. He had to grow in his knowledge and understanding. And we're even told that at 12 years old, when he's, quote, lost at the temple. Uh, we'll cover that story sometime later. But He's there, he's talking with the rabbis. Joseph and Mary come back to find him. They thought he lost him on the way down to Jericho. And, uh, and they find him. Take him back home, and we're told in Luke that he grew in wisdom and knowledge. So there's a process of understanding, of, of self-identity. And all the while, he and John were growing up together. When Mary and Joseph, as was their custom, would go to Jerusalem for Passover and perhaps Pentecost and Tabernacles as well, you get a million people in town, ten times the population, and where would they stay? Well, I suspect with relatives, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Jesus and John would have played together and uh, known each other very well. 
You know, at one point here, we even said, John sent disciples. Are you really the one? He was puzzled by what Jesus was doing. But these two men were close. They were not only relatives. They were friends. They shared in this ministry. John was the forerunner, paving the way for Jesus. And now John has been murdered. And I'll say right here, that this story, chapter 14 in Matthew, is a turning point for Jesus. Up until this time, he's been teaching and preaching and healing, and he's had a fabulous public ministry. But this, I think, is a shock. Perhaps he knew that John would die as a result of what was happening, what he was doing, but like this? beheaded at a, at a debauched dinner party at Macarius by Herod Antipas? No. This is a turning point for Jesus. So we continue our story. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He needed time alone. Time to confer with God the Father. Time to sort through this kaleidoscope of emotions he was experiencing. Time to understand what it all meant and what it meant right now. Is this a turning point? Or have I simply lost John? What do I do now? So he needed time alone with God. He got in the boat and sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the east side, the Golan Heights of today, or the Decapolis of his day, a solitary place. But hearing about this, about him getting in the boat and going across the lake, and at that point the lake is about 13 miles wide, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So as he's sailing from west to east, about 13 miles, in a straight line, the crowds are walking around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And by the time he gets to the shore on the other side, the crowds are there. Well, the last thing he wanted to do was deal with a bunch of people on the other side. He withdrew to a solitary place to have time alone with God, to confer with God. But there's the crowd. As, oh, he had compassion on them. We saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, he healed their sick. And as evening approached, and the sun was going down, the disciples came to him and said, look, this is a remote place. There, there aren't towns and villages along the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's agricultural area. The people live on the west side in what today is Tiberias at, say, 9 o'clock on the Sea of Galilee, and around up to the North Shore. Nobody lived over on the other side. The Decapolis cities were up in the hills, but not on the shore. So it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go back home and get some food. And Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Us? We've got, what, a thousand people here? We're supposed to take them out to lunch? 
what do we have, guys? Oh, huh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Great. How are we going to feed the crowd? And, and, and we'd max out our credit cards trying to do this. <laughs> but Jesus said, bring me what you have. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Huh. The number of those who ate wasn't a thousand people. It was 5,000 people plus women and children. 5,000 men plus women and children. All fed from five loaves and two fish. Well, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. So he finally has an opportunity for that solitary time. The crowd leaves, having been fed. And notice how Jesus did it, multiplying the fish and the loaves. What did he do? He took what the disciples had, blessed it, gave it back to them, and it multiplied as it was passed out. There's a good lesson in that. You know, whatever, whatever we might have, as little as it may be, if we give our talents, our gifts, and our abilities to Christ, and he blesses them, he will give them back, and those talents, gifts, and abilities will multiply by the thousands. Remember that as you move on in the Christian life. So he goes up on the mountainside. And when evening came, he was there all alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Uh, many stadia is the Greek. And we know the lake is about 13 miles across. Uh, th uh, 13 miles across and uh, the boat's out in the middle. Considerable distance. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came down off the mountain and all he wanted to do was go home. But the crowd was still there. So he looked across the lake at Capernaum, the lights in Capernaum. He saw the boat halfway out in the lake. And he simply walked across the water. It's the only miracle that Jesus performs that has no moral or didactic purpose. He just wanted to get home. So off he goes. Those in the boat, the wind always blows through the Arbel Pass from the west blowing toward the east. So the boat going back toward the west, those in the boat, the disciples, are facing the eastern shore, rowing, 
and against the wind, and they see in the distance this shadow moving across the water. Holy cow! When we travel to the Sea of Galilee and we go on our boat ride on Daniel's boat, I try to time it. I can't always get it right, but I try to time it for a full moon during that boat ride because the moon comes up over the Golan. And I love teaching this story under those circumstances. A full moon coming up over the Golan Heights, Jesus walking toward the boat, the moon illuminating him from behind, his garments are blowing out behind him, he's backlit by the moon, so it's all shadow in the front, and they say, it's a ghost! Well, you'd think so too! But Jesus said, take courage, it's, it's only me, don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, we can't see Jesus' expression because he's backlit by the moon. It's all shadow. But I have, to, I have to imagine that Jesus was laughing to himself. He said, come on. And Peter got down out of the boat. He tested the water with his foot. And he began to walk on the water. He's watching Jesus, and he's walking on the water. And then he looked down, he saw the, the waves, he felt the wind, and he looked back at the guys in the boat, and he thought, holy crap, what am I doing? And we read that he began to sink. He began to sink? You begin to sink, you drop like a rock. Down he went, and Jesus grabbed his hand as it was about to go into the water and pulled him up and got him back in the boat. Now, what were the guys in the boat doing? This is meant to be a funny scene, and it surely is. You can be sure all the other guys in the boat were rolling with laughter at this. <laughs> Jesus got him back in the boat, and he said, You have little faith, why did you doubt? It, it, it's kind of like saying, You knucklehead, what were you thinking? They got in the boat, the wind died down, and they got back to shore. And when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to the surrounding country. All the people came again, another big crowd gathers. Well, that's quite the story. And as I'm concluding this story, I believe I said the Sea of Galilee was 13 miles across. No, it's not. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles across at the widest point, 13 miles from north to south. I need to make that correction because I think I said 13, and if I did, that was not correct. 13 miles long north to south, 13 miles at the widest point west to east. So, after John the Baptist being murdered and the effect it had on Jesus, it shook him to the very core shook him to the core. He went up on the mountain. He has a night in prayer. We have him in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, where he's praying so intensely he's sweating blood. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened on that mountainside. Struggling with what happened to John. What were the implications for me, for Jesus, and for my purpose here? At this point, how much does Jesus know about who he is and what his mission is? And we'll pursue that as we continue in our story. So let's pause there, and we'll pick right up on Friday and see what Jesus does after coming off that mountain. So again, thank you for being here with me. Sorry about the mistake on the Sea of Galilee. Note it down 13 miles long north to south, 8 miles across west to east. Don't want you to be confused, and I think I, I said the wrong thing earlier in the podcast. So anyhow, mea culpa, mea culpa. Mea maxima culpa. Bye-bye now.